The Movement Church is all about passionate people who build authentic relationships to reach limitless potential and serves Orange County, California. For more information, visit us online at theocmovement.com. We hope you enjoy this message from The Movement. All right, all right, all right. I feel like I could probably continue going on about moms, but I think you guys get the point. You're awesome. Make sure, lady, or guys, that you take care of the moms in your world today. Take them to lunch or brunch or the beach or something. Don't just make sure. Don't forget to take care of them today. Amen? Amen. Man, that was weak. I'm going to preach till two today. You're going to miss your lunch appointment. So I want to share with you, we're on week four of Crash the Chatterbox. If you've missed it, man, you've missed so much, man. A series that we do here is kind of like a book or a movie, and each week tells a different component. Have you ever gone to see a movie and you got there 20 minutes late, and so you miss that pivotal setup that happens at the end of the movie, and you're like, what's happening? What's happening? And everybody's laughing or crying, but you don't get it? That's because you weren't here the previous week. So go on our website, check out our podcast, download the sermon. We don't want you to miss this. And I'll tell you, not because we think we're awesome, but because this series is so powerful for you and for me. We're talking about how the voices that we listen to will determine the future that we experience. Not talking about the fact that everyone in this room is quasi-schizophrenic. No, we're talking about the fact that all of us have the chatterbox, that voice on the inside of our head that says you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, and gosh darn it, people don't like you. Not that, but we have that thing going on over and over and over again in every situation and scenario of our life, and we have to choose which thoughts we will consume. Because after a while, the thoughts that we consume will eventually consume us. So let's, loo- let's choose which thoughts we're going to consume. Amen? We've been talking about thoughts of insecurity and fear and doubt, and today we're going to talk about the chatterbox of discouragement, or thoughts of discouragement. How many of you in this room like to get presents or gifts? Raise your hand right now. Awesome. The rest of you are lying. You're lying right now. Everyone loves to get gifts, especially on their birthday or Christmas. And I'll never forget. You guys are probably going to all hate me after this. I'll never forget one time on my birthday, uh, a good friend of ours came and said, man, listen, I got you a present. And he handed me this envelope and I'm stoked because, you know, those kind of those kind of gifts are great. I said, I went a little bit more than I normally go for you. I kind of put a little bit more money into it. And I just, you know, I want you to know how much I value you. And I, I you know, carefully, painstakingly open up the envelope. And I pull out this piece of paper. And I am confused. And I read. And the piece of paper says, we donated to a charity in your name. And he was looking at me all huge with a smile. I'm thinking, Thanks. Next time, just give me the cash and let me decide if I want to donate to a charity. Or better yet, just give me some Ray-Bans or an iWatch. That's even better, right? And stop judging me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you are thinking, man, we just did that for you. We haven't given you the gift yet. That's okay. I appreciate it. He's a good guy. We're not friends anymore. I defriended him on Facebook, but it's all right. I was a little bit frustrated. I was a little like, what in the world? A little discouragement came in. Some of you are thinking I'm super shallow, but I'm just making a point for the sermon. You know, frustration, right? Frustration happens when what I expect or my expectation and my experience does, doesn't actually line up, right? When my expectation and my actual experience don't line up, it causes frustration, which often leads to discouragement. Every single person in this room has experienced discouragement. 
Every single person in this room probably experienced discouragement this week. Some of the moms in this room may experience some discouragement this morning when you opened a blender instead of a purse, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That never happens. Discouragement. And discouragement comes in all shapes and sizes. It can be with people, relationships that we have. Discouragement when we feel like someone should have acted or said something different than they actually said. And my expectations and my experience didn't quite line up. It could be in uh, my frustration or discouragement with my current status of my marriage. Because, you know, I just had bigger hopes when I walked down the aisle. You know, we had bigger dreams and we had bigger plans, but it just doesn't seem to be going the way that we thought. And my expectations and my experience doesn't line up. It could be discouragement or frustration because of a degree prep path that you're in. And it's just causing more frustration than you thought. And after all, you're not even sure if you want to pursue this as an education right now or not. Or it could be in high school because you just really, really, really like this girl. And she really, really, really won't talk to you. That's some big discouragement. It can be people. It can be events too. It can be an event or a non-event. If you're here today and you've been trying to get pregnant. You've read all the books and the blogs and you've hung on to all the essential oils and eaten the right herbs and tried everything you know to try. And your husband loves this season. Wait for it. <laughs> but it just seems like every month it's a reminder of just I'm not pregnant yet. Or maybe it's celebrating Mother's Day for the first time without your mom around. Discouragement can be an event. It could be people, it can be dates, it can be experiences that we have or don't have. And discouragement tends to be a huge source of frustration. And often, if we're not careful, if we linger on the thoughts or let the chatterbox of our thoughts win in our life, discouragement can turn to despair, and despair can turn to depression. And depression can rob us of God's purpose for our life. And there's a, a, an interesting story in the scripture. So, you know, isn't it great how God knows how, what we're going to struggle with? Isn't it great that we have a God who cares enough that he gave us a book that's a manual for life? It lets us know everything that we need to know. And there's a story in the scripture of a young woman who went through a series of discouragements. And I think we can look at that and see God exactly what God wants to do in our lives and maybe learn from some of her mistakes. And, and this young woman, her name was Leah. Her name was Leah. And her story is very interesting because there was a man named Jacob. And he was interested in this girl that he really liked. And it happened to be his uncle's kids. Which I know is weird, but back then it wasn't as strange as it may be. If you're from Arkansas, this makes sense to you. But, you know, for everybody else, for everyone else, we're like, what? But back then it was a little bit different. And, and so we read about uh, this man named Laban who was the uncle of a guy named Jacob. And, and we hear a little, kind of the beginning of their story. It's found in Genesis chapter 29, verse 16 through 18. It says this, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. Turn to your neighbor and say, weak eyes. But Rachel had a lovely figure. Turn to your spouse and say, you got a lovely figure, girl. Yes, good job, girl. <laughs> she had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And Jacob was in love with Rachel. 
Now, I, I know that there's a lot of debate around this scripture because uh, we've got a lot of, of, of different opinions on what does it mean when it says that Leah had weak eyes. But you notice that they don't describe Leah's beauty and her figure. They don't describe how amazing she is. In fact, the only words that they use to describe Leah is just short of awesome. She had weak eyes. And so Jacob falls in love with Rachel and he talks to Laban and says, I'd like to marry your daughter Rachel. And Laban says, cool, work for me for seven years and I'll give you my daughter. So he works for her for seven years and then Laban tricks him. He tricks him into marriage. I don't know how that works. Some of you in this room are thinking, I know exactly what that feels like. He gets tricked into marriage. He wakes up the next day, the day after his wedding, and looks over in the bed. It's not Rachel, it's Leah. Come on, that's kind of crazy right there, right? Listen, so Jacob is like, holy cow, what in the world are we going to do? So he goes back to the father-in-law and says, hey, listen, I want to marry Rachel. And he said, well, I, I can't give you the youngest before the oldest. It's not customary. He said, work another seven years and you can have Rachel. So Jacob works another seven years and marries Rachel. And now we have the very first sister wives right here in the scripture. No, that was a good one. I think that deserved a better laugh than that one. And so Leah, she's just discouraged in this season. We read on Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, it says this. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Leah's facing some discouragement. She's praying and hoping for a son because the culture and the customs of that time was whoever the firstborn son was would receive the birthright or the inheritance of the entire family. So Leah's thinking, yes, if I give him a son first, then he's going to love me because I, my husband will love me because I gave him a son. She's trying to find some joy in the midst of her situation But really, she's just experiencing a lot of discouragement. She lives in the shadow of her younger sister. Her husband doesn't love her. And the scripture goes on to say this, verse 33. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this son too. So she named him Simeon. And again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now, at last, my husband will become attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Here we have Leah putting her hope and her faith in people. And I just got to be honest with you. It doesn't matter who the person is. They're not perfect. And they're going to let you down. And that's a setup for discouragement. So Leah, she's living in the shadows of her sister. Just desperately hoping to be loved by her husband. And thinking, maybe this son will bring us together. No, maybe this son will bring us together. No, maybe this son will bring us together. Isn't that what the chatterbox does? The chatterbox keeps us thinking, if I can just get blank, then I will be happy. But how many of you know that very rarely in life do we get everything that we want? And I'm just going to tell you, this is a side note, thank God, right? Remember the Garth Brooks song? I thank God for unanswered prayers. Come on, cheer for that one. And if you don't know Garth Brooks, shame on you, we're praying for your salvation right now. If I can just get blank, then I will be happy. And this is Leah's like whole life right now. 
She's so discouraged. She's so frustrated. She's placing past hurt in her present situation. She is, listen, we don't even know the span of time here. The Bible doesn't actually say it could have been three years, four years, six years, eight years that she's walking through this season. It could have been even longer. Just surrounded by frustration and discouragement. Has anyone ever felt that way? I know I have. Sinking my present reality, my experience right now, does not match my expectation of this moment. Everything changed in her life, though, when she decided to live in the present and start praising God. Verse 29, I'm sorry, verse 35, she says this. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. And how many of you know, for a woman of four boys, that's a miracle from God. (laughs) She said, this time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. The title of today's sermon is This Time. And my question for you today, over the next 21 minutes of our journey together, is what will you do this time when you face discouragement? When the chatterbox of discouragement starts going crazy in your mind, what will you do this time? Not your neighbor, not your husband, not your boyfriend, not your friend, not your sister, you. What will you do this time? You see, you need to understand, we all need to understand that living in last time only fuels the chatterbox To remember our past disappointments. Living in last time only fuels the chatterbox to remember our past or remind us of our past disappointments. And we can't live in next time because it's out of our control. How many of you have gotten stuck there? Just waiting for next time. Okay, you know what? Next time. Okay, you know, the next time this thing happens or when this takes place and then you get to that next time and then what happens? Your experience and your expectations don't line up. You find yourself discouraged again. So we can't live in last time, and we can't live in next time, but we've got to live in this time and train ourselves to do so. I want to talk to you today. I've got six points for you today. I know you're thinking, holy cow, you said 20 minutes. I'm going to make this rock. It's going to be so good. Six points. You know, here's the thing to think through. I think a lot of time, if you're a Christ follower, if you've been in the church for a long time, this is an easy trap to fall into. And, and I think for all of us, When we're facing discouragements or frustrations, we keep thinking, what is the big thing that I need to change in my life right now? I've got to redirect, and it's going to be huge. It's going to be horrible. I don't even know if I can do this because it's such a huge change. But really, the truth is, sometimes the smallest changes in our life can have the greatest impact in our life. In fact, I believe that the enemy, that Satan, does everything he can to do to make us feel like or think that there's no way we can actually change this massive thing that stands before us. And so we stay crippled in our current situation, living through the eyes of the past, or hoping for a brighter future, but only experiencing discouragement. 
Jesus was talking and he said this in Matthew 11, verse 25. He says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. What's he saying? That sometimes the greatest steps that we need to take are simple steps of obedience. You know, I found, I, honestly, I found that the hardest part of following Jesus is not understanding what I have to do next, but it's simply doing what I already understand. I already know. I already know the little things I need to take. And sometimes I start looking over the, over the hill going, okay, God, what is the big thing I need to adjust? And God just say, man, I've given you the tools that you need right here, right now. I love what Oswald Chambers says. Listen to this. He says, even the smallest bit of obedience opens heaven. And the deepest truths of God immediately become yours. Yet God will never reveal more truth about himself to you until you have obeyed what you know already. God's just saying, man, I've given you some of the tools and all we've got to do is be simple and obedient to what I'm telling you to do. Maybe you're experiencing discouragement today. Man, my encouragement for you today is that you've got the tools you need. We just got to start making some small changes and stop listening to the lies of the chatterbox. So let's talk about it. Six ways to handle discouragement this time. Turn to your neighbor and say, oh God, six ways. (laughs) Six ways to handle your discouragement this time. Number one, look back. Number one, look back. You're thinking, this is confusing. You just told us, stop living in last time. Well, listen, I'm not talking about living in last discouragements or yesterday's frustrations or yesterday's hurts or habits or hangups. But sometimes the greatest thing that you and I can do is rehearse the faithfulness of God, is look back and remember all the times that God showed up in a miraculous way. Isn't it sad that it's so much easier for you and I to remember the frustrating, disappointing things in life and we seem to forget the things where God showed up in a way we could never forget? We've got to rehearse the faithfulness of God. Some of you need to go on your way home today and buy a journal simply for rehearsing and writing down the things that God is doing to show you his faithfulness. Just like Megan shared a few moments ago about the two women who were praying, God, we want to get pregnant. And it seems so out of reach and like it wasn't going to happen. But guess what? Just a few days ago, they had healthy, amazing, beautiful babies. And not every baby is beautiful, but both of these were. Let's just be honest. You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes we need to rehearse the faithfulness of God. I'll never forget. I know I don't have a lot of stories. I'm, I'm, I, I, just, I just have a few. And, and one of the biggest things that we've ever walked through was starting this church. Literally, almost four years ago, we moved out here and we only knew two people. And they were already plugged into another church. So we weren't even asking them to be a part of what God was going to do at the movement church. We didn't know anyone. It was the scariest, most exciting season of our life. Then we had to try to find a group of people, a motley crew that would say, yeah, I'll be a part of helping get this thing started. And then on top of that, we had to raise money. How many of you love to ask people for money? Raise your hand right now. None of you. Put your hands down, you liars. We had nothing. The only thing we had was the promise of a salary so I could feed my kids. But 
guess what? You got to buy a speaker like that and this thing and this thing. And man, goldfish for kids. And it's not $15. We're talking thousands upon thousands of dollars. Somehow, we did it. I don't even know to this day. September 12, 2000, September 9th, 2012, we opened the doors of the church, and I remember walking down the hall, seeing people thinking, holy crap, they came. I hope they come back. Some of you did. Many of you didn't. We're judging all those people right now. And then we had to sustain finances to pay for this theater. Because Regal's awesome, but they're not that awesome. And nobody, nobody ties and gives offerings to a brand new church with a good looking pastor who wears too tight of a shirt. That rhymed. I'm like Dr. Freaking Seuss right now. I can't even tell you. I could I'll literally show you the books for the first year. I, I don't know how we sustained. I don't even know. But every month, we go to the mail praying, Jesus, please let there be a check here so we can have church on Sunday. And literally, I'll never forget one Sunday, our finance guy called. He goes, somebody just sent us a check for 6500 said, who is it? He said, I don't know. Google their name. You know who it was? It's a guy in North Carolina. And his son visited our church one time, gave his life to Christ. It impacted his life. And he said, we just wanted to bless you. And that check sustained us for a month. Some of you are thinking, 6500 that's all you needed? We were slim pickings back then. It's the faithfulness of God. There's no rhyme or reason for that. I could not have put a message on Facebook and seen. That's just God saying, hey, I got you. And if we don't rehearse that, when we face discouragement, we'll forget it. So some of you need to look back. Some of you, a great exercise today would be to sit down with your husband or your wife or by yourself with a good friend and just talk about the things that God's done in your life. About his faithfulness to you. Number two, look up. Look up. Sometimes we've got to remember how big God is. Remember how big God is. And remember the promises of God. He's big. There's a VeggieTales song. It's very theologically correct. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. God is bigger than the boogeyman. And he's watching out for you and me. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm entertaining you today. When I sing, you just drop a hand clap for me. Reminds me of that verse we just read where Jesus said, you have showed these things to the little children. When my kid has a scary dream, what do we tell her? Hey, God's got you covered. And yet we face things in life and we get discouraged and we don't even remember how big God is. Not only the fact that he's big and he's got this thing, but he's given you promises. Joshua 1.9. God's talking to the new commander in chief who's leading somewhere between 2.5 to 3 million people. He's a young man. He's been living in the shadows of one of the greatest leaders in, in all of the Bible. 
And God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I've given you something to do. Be strong and courageous. I've told you what not to do. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. And here's my promise. I will be with you wherever you go. Wherever. Your work environment, the financial crisis you're facing, the craziness of your marriage, the struggles of the health crisis that you face now, I'll be with you wherever you go. I love what Isaiah 42 says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flames will not set you ablaze. What? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. God is big. And his promises are real. And his promises are for you. What are you going to do this time? This time. Number three, look out. Look out. Look out. Not like, look out. <laughs> like, look out. Some of you need to just stop, collaborate, and listen. ISIS, but it's a good day. Happy freaking Mother's Day, man. I could go all day with that. You're welcome. Some of you need to stop and survey the situation. And ask yourself, am I doing something that's contributing to the chatterbox? You Sometimes we get so frustrated and angry at what life is throwing at us, but we're actually contributing to the mess that we're in. What are the things that are influencing your life the most? Are you doing things that are contributing to the, cha- the chatterbox of discouragement. What are you watching on television? What are you watching on television? Like literally. Is it when you're done watching it, you're thinking, man, I'm so stoked about life right now. Or does it bring discouragement in your life? When you're finished watching it, does the spirit on the inside of you feel excited about the future? Or frustrated or reminded of your past? What are you watching on television? It's worth asking. And don't act like it doesn't make a difference in your life. It's worth thinking through. What are you watching on television? I'm not telling you what to watch or what not to watch. If you're like me, you might. I was raised in an environment where we were told everything, yes and no, and no and yes, and this is not. And it was all about the do's and don'ts and nothing about the heart. So I'm not here to tell you what to watch or not to watch. But I'm saying if you're feeling discouraged, look out and see what's influencing your life. How are your friends influencing you? If you're struggling in your marriage and you call so-and-so, oh, my gosh. And they're like, uh-uh, hang up the phone. If you have a friend that jumps on your bandwagon of frustration and hurt, they're not influencing you in a good direction. They are feeding the chatterbox. Who are the friends that are influencing your life? Who are the friends? I'm not angry. I sound like I'm angry. I love all of you. How much time are you spending looking at other people's lives on social media? Facebook. Instagram. Twitter. How much time are you looking at other people's news feed? 
to see what they fed their family, what their kids are doing every day. We made flowers and set up dinner. It's Wednesday. Yeah. Why? Because I got nothing else to do. And you look at it like, my life sucks. I work on Wednesday. It was horrible. I microwaved pizza from yesterday. I'm a horrible mom. I don't know. I apologize for what just happened. <laughs> I'm, I'm really embarrassed right now. I hope you did not film or post that on social media. <laughs> it's Sunday. Oh, man. I have six minutes left. Hey, discontentment and comparison fuel the chatterbox faster than anything else. Discontentment and comparison fuel the chatterbox faster than anything else. But on the contrary, gratitude shuts up the chatterbox like nothing else. So be careful what you're watching. Be careful who's influencing your life. Be careful what you're looking at and start thinking about the things that God's done and the faithfulness of his heart and purpose and promises for you. Look back, look up, look out. Number four, look beyond. Jeremy, come on up, man. You got to help me finish quick. Look beyond. Look beyond. Discouragement often, I think actually all the time, discouragement, it forces us to look inside. We don't don't get discouraged because we feel like we're awesome. Right? We get discouraged because we feel like we don't measure up. Or my expectation wasn't met. Or so-and-so is not doing what they should be doing. And why is that? Why does it always happen to me? Why do I always feel frustrated? Sometimes we just need to look beyond ourselves. I love this scripture. We use this a lot when it, in reference to giving in the church. But it's Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says this, Give and it will be given you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You ever gotten popcorn at the movie theater? And they take that big bucket and they pour the popcorn in. It's all fluffy. And by the time you get, dig in, it like compresses down. Or you get a bag of chips that's huge at Costco. And you open it up and there's only like seven chips in it. Right? And you're thinking, where are all these stinking chips? Go to the popcorn and say, hey, hey, just push it down. Put some more on there. And push it down. Put some more on there. And push it. I will, <clears throat> you're like doing the elbow move to push it down. So you walk away and popcorn's spilling out. And you've got a happy face because you're going to get butter and salt. It's going to be a good day. When we give, no matter what it is, when we give inspiration, it's given back to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. When we give compassion, it's given back to us. Right? When we give hope, it's returned. Good measure, pressed down, Shaking together and running over. This is the principle of God. Look, you need to look at me in the eyes for a moment. I'm going to rabbit trail. God's principles never fail. This is God's economy. This isn't the economy of the United States. This principle never fails. When you give love, you receive a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, it may not come in the vessel in which you expect, but it is going to come back. When you feed negative thoughts, when you give negativity, 
When you speak hate or hurt, guess what? It's going to come back. When you speak gossip and slander, guess what? Somebody somewhere is talking bad about you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That means exponentially more than what you gave. Some of you, this time, if you're struggling with discouragement, one of the best things you can do is look beyond yourself. Who can I inspire? Who can I encourage? Who can I give hope to? Who can I help them to see all that God has for them? Why do you think we have a dream team at the Movement Church? So that we can have people do things that nobody else wants to do? No! Because we recognize God's principles at work. That when I'm struggling through life and I invest my life with my purpose and my passions to helping somebody else experience hope and forgiveness and love, guess what? We all win. We all win. That's what we do. Some of you need to jump on the dream team. You're in the middle of the most discouraging season. Or you're holding on for dear life for your marriage. Or you're believing that God's going to give you a baby. Maybe you need to invest in the babies who are already here. We changed their diapers. We're praying for that kid. I go to the hospital with Megan on Monday. We're holding babies, not just holding babies. We're speaking destiny in their lives. Why? Because we believe that for them. Some of you might be in the midst of discouragement, and this time, you need to look beyond yourself. Find someone else to inspire. Look back, look up, look out, look beyond. Number five, look around. Look around. When we're discouraged, the worst thing that we can do is isolate ourselves. But it's the one thing that we want to do. I want to challenge you. Who are the friends that you're rolling with? Who are your people? You need someone in your life. Actually, you need more than one. You need multiple multiple people in your life that are going to lift you up. They're going to pray for you. And they're going to pour into you. That's why we do connect groups at the Movement Church. Because we want you to experience this right here. But more importantly, that you have somebody that's walking through life with you. Saying, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You may be down, but you're not out. That towel may be in your hand and you're ready to throw it in. But don't do it yet. You may not have hope, but I've got hope for you. Look around. Who are the people that are investing in your life? Your friends. The people that are closest to you. I just got done texting my my crew, my tribe. Got friends that pastor all around Southern California. Texting this morning, man, I'm praying for you. It's going to be an awesome day. They text right back. We were bantering back and forth. The same people I call when I'm discouraged. Same people I call when I'm struggling. Same people I call when I'm happy and I'm excited. It's my tribe. Who's your crew? Look around. Number six, look in. Look in. Sometimes the only person who can encourage me is me. Sometimes. Sometimes we got to stop having a pity party. Tell ourselves to put on our big girl panties, but I don't wear those. Our big boy pants. Suck it up and move on. Well, that sounds so harsh. Maybe you need it. 
Maybe you need it. When you're facing discouragement, what are you going to do this time? What are you going to do this time? Sometimes we've got to arm ourselves. We've got to prepare ourselves for the battle that we face. You know, when you go to the beach with your kids, I think some people spend more time arming their children against the demonic UV rays than they do arming their soul against an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We'll put on sunscreen and on our nose and visors and umbrellas because we don't want to get sunburn or skin cancer. We haven't read the scripture past what's been on the screen in three months. And when discouragement comes, we expect to be armed with an arsenal to know how to handle it. Some of us need to arm ourselves with what God's purpose and promises are for our lives. I love what Psalms 121.2 says. It says this, my help comes from the Lord, the makers of the heaven and earth. In the beginning of this church, when we didn't have money, we didn't have people, we didn't got nothing. You know what we would do? We would go to each other and make out and say, we're going to be okay. I don't like this. We're going to make it. Why? Because my help is not in my circumstance. It is not in our finances. But where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. I love 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Listen to this. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Holy cow. That's God's promise for you. Not the more perfect person sitting next to you, but you with your jacked up self. In all things. At all times. So you can accomplish every good work. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Some of you need to look in. Arm yourself with an arsenal of the scripture. Listen, the enemy's not creative. Look at me for a minute. Satan's not creative. He's going to use the same tactics in different ways on you over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Have you ever been like, man, why am I here again? Struggling with the same dang problem. It's been like this for 15 years because the enemy's not creative. And he knows how to jack you up with the chatterbox. And the lies, specifically targeted for you. You're, the lies that the enemy uses on you are different than the lies that the enemy uses on me. For me, the lies are, you're not good enough to do this, Carrie. You're not equipped as a leader to make this thing happen. Who do you think you are to be a pastor? Don't you remember? We've talked about this in this series. So learn what the lies are that the chatterbox is going to speak and find a scripture you can quote right back. So when he comes and he tells you, man, you're not good enough, you can say, that may be true, but greater is he that's in me than you, sucker. Shut your mouth. You mean we talk to the enemy? Heck yeah. And you get this. You get it. Right? Do you know that the most powerful, I don't know why I just skipped like that. Do you know that the most powerful decision that you can make is to surrender your life to Jesus. And do you know how that takes place? The Bible says it's a powerful component. He says if a man believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth, then he experiences salvation. 
So there's something to the words that we speak that jack up and alter our current situation. And if you're in the middle of discouragement, you need to look in, quote some scripture, and shut the enemy up. And you might need to do things differently. For me, one of the things I like to do is put on worship music. I can't wait till we record a CD and I can actually listen to some of the songs they've written. But I'll put on worship and I'll sing the songs. I only know two words and I sing out of key, but I sing it. The top of my lungs. And I walk through the season with my father. He's passing away. And I'm singing this song from good friends of ours at another church here in the area. And I'm singing a song they wrote about eternity. Why? Because I was reminded of my hope is not in this life, but in eternity. Nobody else was there. It was just me and the Holy Spirit. Another thing that I do sometimes when I'm really discouraged, I like to get out on the water on my board. My paddle board, my surfboard, there's a Costco foamy. It doesn't even matter. I like to get out there and just me and God. God, you do what you want to do in my life. What is it that you need to do? What changes do you need to make? Another thing that I do, it's a great thing called the 40 I am's. There are 40 statements matched with 40 verses reminding me who I am in Christ. Some of you may not know where to start with the Bible. And that's a great place to start. In fact, today you can text notes to the number they're about to throw on the screen. And it'll pull up my notes from today and it'll give you the 40 I am's on your smartphone. If you have a flip phone, I'm sorry. It'll pull up on your smartphone and you can read through those. And if one of them just jumps off the page, find that scripture and memorize it. When the lies of the chatterbox come at you, you can tell the enemy to shut up. You can tell the enemy to shut up. Because discouragement's going to come. You're going to feel it. You're going to experience it. But what are you going to do this time? What are you going to do this time? What are you going to do this time? Let's not let the lies of the chatterbox win in our life. But let's walk in victory. It's not something huge. It's a bunch of little things, little adjustments. Being obedient to who God is. And he does the miraculous in our life. Amen? Hey, some of you may be here today hearing me talk about God at work in our lives. And you say, I just don't even know what that looks like. Where to begin? Or it's been so long, I don't know if I can come back. And I want to tell you right now, there's good news for you. Today is your day. You're not here by accident. But today you can start fresh. And some of you are thinking, man, I need a fresh start. I need a new season in my life. This chatterbox has been kicking my butt and I need to start fresh and new. If you're here today and you've never given Jesus the chance to be a part of your life, In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. You don't have to get up out of your seat. We're not going to embarrass you, but I don't want you to leave this room today without starting brand new. Look at me in the eyes. Some of you today have been running from God. And today is your day to come back. You see, I feel like there's a gap, Pastor Kerry. I don't know if I can get close to God. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my past. You you know what the truth is? I don't. I promise you, I might be more jacked up than you. And I know what that gap feels like. The Bible talks about it. It calls it a sin gap. All of us have sinned. And there's a consequence and a ransom, a payment that must be paid for that sin. But that is the radical good news of who Jesus is. 
He died on a cross, not so that we can hang him on a cross and a wall and look at it and feel good. No, he died on the cross to pay the ransom for your sin and for mine and for all of humanity. And all we have to do is say, Jesus, I just want to be yours. I want to silence the chatterbox and start over new. If you've never made that decision or if you've been running from God, today's the day to come back. With every head bowed and every eye closed, today I want everyone to pray this out loud with me. And if you're here today and you've never prayed this prayer, or today is the day to come back to God, I want you to mean it from the bottom of your heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I want you to pray this. Everyone in this room, pray this out loud with me. Say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. That you've given me purpose. God, the truth is, I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus. Now, everyone in this room, just repeat this phrase. Say, Jesus, I give you my heart. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Find out more about us at theocmovement.com or we'd love to meet you in person this Sunday. Until next time, Orange County.